Today, we're going to be thinking about what it means to turn our faces outwards, to share that balm of God with others, to love our neighbors well. And uh, we've just been doing that, haven't we? As we've been thinking about church planting, that's part of the story. Um, But there are so many aspects to loving our neighbors. That's a whole new sermon series for you. Um, But I just want to focus in on one thing, which is around the unexpected invitation, the unexpected invitation. I want to share with you an odd little story in the Old Testament. Um, So our reading today is going to be 2 Samuel 9. And uh, the story is a real breath of fresh air between a whole load of stories about battle and violence and bloodshed. We have this tender human encounter. Uh, Just to give a little bit of context to the story... Saul, uh, who was the king of Israel before um, David, Saul has been killed in battle, and his son Jonathan has also been killed. Now, David had, a fair to say, a little bit of an uneasy relationship with Saul. I mean, Saul had tried to murder him a few times, uh, so a little bit tricky. But he had had a very uh, loving friendship with Jonathan, uh, Saul's son. So David is devastated about the death of Jonathan. And uh, he is, this is, well, basically, dot, 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 this is what happened next. And uh, Bookie, where is Bookie, is going to come and bring us the reading. So 2 Samuel 9, and it's on page... 299. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given you your master's grandson, everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that you, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do.
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Thank you so much. So David wants to show kindness to Jonathan's family, but the only living member of the family left is this young man called Mephibosheth who has a disability, uh, a young guy with a disability. And in that culture, people who had disabilities were considered as outcasts. They were considered as unworthy people. Um, he wouldn't have been able to um, go, go out to war or to fight, which seemed to be a bit of the, the chief occupation of the time. He wasn't able to go and work in the fields. He wasn't able to do anything useful like that. He wouldn't have even been allowed to have gone to worship in the temple he wouldn't have been seen to have any value whatsoever in society. He would have been considered even as a burden. Some would have even thought that he was cursed by God because of his disability. And more than anyone, Mephibosheth himself is aware of this, isn't it? You see how he described himself? He, just, he considers himself worth less than nothing. He says, uh, who am I? I'm just a dead dog. Not even a dog, you know, a dog is useful. A dead dog. He describes in, you know, in his own eyes and perhaps in the eyes of those around him, he is completely and utterly worthless as a person. Well, the King David steps into this scene. Uh, there's some political tension going on here. You can imagine a bit of rivalry between the families. So it's kind of understandable that David has to say, do not be afraid. Um, that refrain that we hear again and again in the Bible. He could have turned up to kill this man to get away with uh, uh, any claim that he might have to take the throne. But instead, in this very noble moment, uh, David doesn't take account of this young man's disability and he makes this unexpected invitation to him. David offers to return to him all the land that once belonged to Saul and uh, all the land that is now in David's kingdom for it to be looked after and tilled and taken care of so that he has complete and utter economic security and prosperity. But more than that, he's invited every day to come and eat at the king's table. No longer is Mephibosheth ashamed, tucked away in the shadows, in the dark, but he's brought out into the light. He's honored. He's going to be part of the royal family, eating at the royal table. Not through his own achievements, not even through society's change in perception of him, but the whole of Mephibosheth's status changes because he's given this place at the royal table, a new status. Verse 11 says he ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Who are the people around us who might consider themselves to be hopeless, to be shameful, to be worthless even? Who are the people that you might have encountered who feel that way? 
in conversations I've had recently in the night shelter, I've had lots of wonderful encounters with people who are full of hope and, uh, and have a bright future and are aware of that. But I've also encountered those who have felt that they are trampled on, those who have no educational qualifications, those who've been subject to abuse growing up, those who've been told that they're a waste of space, those with criminal convictions, those for whom they have no reliable family whatsoever, those who, for whom in their hearts they believe they're nothing more than a dead dog, those who would never believe that they have an invitation just as they are to come and eat at the king's table. In this story, Mephibosheth isn't healed. I love the fact that right at the end they say he still was lame in both his feet, just to remind you. He isn't healed, as wonderful as that would have been. He's invited to the table with his broken feet, just as he is, and there he is, crowned with honor. We ourselves may sometimes feel a bit like him. We know our hearts, we know our failings, we know our own wounds and our scars, the things that have happened to us through no fault of our own. And we also know the cruelty and selfishness in our hearts, the things that really are our responsibility. And yet, like Mephibosheth, we too, you and I, we're invited to come and eat at the king's table, to come and eat with the king, like one of his children. Well, I want to bring the story into a different context now, the same kind of story. David is sometimes thought as being someone who prefigures Jesus. He is very imperfect, unlike Jesus, who is perfect. Uh, but he's kind of the one who uh, is like a symbol of Jesus in the Old Testament. David invites this one broken and rejected man to come and eat at the table. Well, Jesus opens up that story to be about a, a universal picture. And so Nathan's going to come and read. Uh, sorry, I, didn't, I just sprung that on you just quite suddenly. Nathan's going to come and read to us uh, from Luke chapter 14, uh, the parable of the great banquet. Luke 14, 15 to 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the, his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
Thank you so much. So this parable, again, another parable of unexpected invitation to the table. It's specifically referring to the Jewish people who were invited into the table, some of whom who didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so the gates are flung wide open to people like you and me who aren't Jewish. Gentile people, you are welcome also to come to this feast. But there's a more general principle here too. The people who might expect the invitation, those who have the secure family and who have uh, property and who have land and have possessions, uh, they're the ones who turn up their noses at this invitation. They have other seemingly more important things to do than to come to this feast. We might know people like that in our own lives who have turned down an invitation and how painful that can feel to us. The rejection can hurt. But the ones who are never usually invited to anything like this, they're the ones who come on in, who come and join around this table. They're the ones who show up. I have a friend um, called uh, John Kurt, who is uh, the director of a project called um, the West London Mission. It's a Methodist charity, mainly works with people who are living in poverty and particularly with people who are homeless. About um, six years ago, there was that, I don't know if you remember, there was that really heavy snowfall in London, in fact, across the whole country, and it was a very, very cold winter. And just before Christmas, in the thick of this snow, um, John got a call from America, this American businessman, called him up and said, oh, hi, um, I am due to have this uh, banquet at this Mayfair, uh, gentle, this cl- gentleman's club in Mayfair, It's all booked out and uh, for 40 people to come and have this uh, luxurious, incredible meal. And uh, unfortunately, though, because of the snowfall, none of my guests can make it. And uh, he called up um, the club and said, I want to cancel this uh, this meal. Uh, But the the club um, owners said, I'm sorry, sir, you've you've booked this uh, private dining room. Uh, I'm not going to be able to fill it at this short notice. Uh, It has to go ahead and you have to pay for it. Well, he was understandably pretty furious about this. And I think probably more out of angry motives than kindness and compassion. He thought, what can I do to really annoy these guys? I know, I'll invite a whole load of homeless people to come and take this meal. So he called up John and said, um, hey, would you have like 40 uh, homeless guys who would quite like to have like a, a 10 course uh, Christmas meal in your Mayfair club, in the Mayfair club? And um, John was like, yeah, I think I can just about rustle up 40 guys to come and enjoy this meal. So um, uh, the lawyers had a bit of wrangling. So the the guys who owned the club in Mayfair said, you cannot invite homeless people in. And they said, no, I'm sorry. If the door policy is jacket and tie, we'll make sure they all have a jacket and tie. So John went around all the local charity shops uh, picking up uh, jackets and ties for these guys. And uh, they got dressed up and headed to this Mayfair club, where for the first time ever for some of these guys, they had the door open to them. Uh, They had the the coats taken off their shoulders and hung up in the cloakroom. And then they were treated to the most exquisite, extraordinary meal that they had ever eaten. For that evening, they were treated like royalty. It was, I remember speaking to John afterwards, he's a Christian, and he was like, it was like a living parable of the upside-down kingdom. In fact, it was like that parable that we just had read to us, an extraordinary moment where God's grace was shining out in this place. 
Tom Wright says this, Christians must work out what it would mean to celebrate God's kingdom so that the people who are at the bottom of the pile, who never get the invitation, would find it to be good news. It isn't enough to say that we are members of the party and dragged in from the country lanes to experience this party that God is throwing. That might be true, but party guests are expected to become party hosts in their turn. It's essential that the invitation that we've received to the table doesn't become limited to people who are just like us. We sacrifice the comfort of our own cliques and our own friendship groups to extend love to people who might be very different from us. That's what makes this party unique. We have a reminder of this radical invitation to the table every week when we celebrate communion as we did earlier this morning. In the early church, it was incredible because slaves and slave owners would eat that meal together as equal people. Even today, on, in special feast days, uh, communion is celebrated uh, at the Mexican, here's a picture of it, at the Mexican-American border, where U.S. citizens who protest the treatment of Mexican migrants share bread and wine through the slats of the border Long may that continue. Last year, Pope Francis actually celebrated one of these border masses, conducting the service from Mexico, but extending the blessing across to the States. The Bishop of El Paso, I think what a cool job, Bishop of El Paso uh, said, um, we see the people on the other side of the border, not as aliens, but as brothers and sisters with whom we want to share their lives. There is no exclusion for this feast that Jesus Christ is throwing for us, the bread of life. God desires that none should perish. No one should be excluded from the source of life and healing and freedom and forgiveness. A book that I've appreciated in recent years um, is called Take This Bread by Sarah Miles, uh, a gay atheist who was uh, a war correspondent and then a restaurateur later on in San Francisco, who had no sense of God's love in her life whatsoever, no sense that God was real, let alone for her. And one Sunday, she found herself stumbling into church for no reason whatsoever. She'd never prayed in her life. She'd never heard a gospel reading, never heard anything of the Bible whatsoever. And then this happens. I'm just going to read a little bit from this book. She says this. Uh, she, she creeps into the back of church and she tries not to catch anyone's eye. She doesn't want to be seen. She's embarrassed to be there. She doesn't know why she's there. She says, we sat down and we stood up. We sang and we sat down and stood up. We waited and listened. It was all kind of peaceful and interesting. And then someone said this. Jesus invites everyone to his table. And up we went, and the table had dishes on it and a pottery goblet. We gathered around, and we sang some more. And then someone was putting a piece of fresh, crumbly bread into my hand, saying, the body of Christ, and handing me a goblet of sweet wine, and saying, the blood of Christ. And then something outrageous and terrifying happened to me. Jesus happened to me. She goes on to say she can't explain what happens as she bursts into tears and has this almost physical response to this love that's kind of being put in her hands, this feast that she's being invited into. 
and she goes home and she says, that impossible word Jesus lodged in me like a crumb. I said it to myself over and over again as though repetition would help me understand what it meant. I didn't know what to do with it. It was more real than any thought I had ever had. It was though the actual taste of bread and wine was more real than anything else I'd ever had. The word was indisputably in my body now, as though I'd swallowed a radioactive pellet that would outlive my own flesh. It's always worth asking the question, isn't it? With our own prejudices, who might be excluded from the royal table that we're invited to? Who needs to hear those transforming words? Jesus invites everyone, everyone to the table. We're all longing for belonging, aren't we? There might be a table in your home where there's a space for someone else to be invited. But either way, there's a table here set every week with bread and wine where we remember Jesus, his body broken, his blood poured out, that we might be forgiven and free and formed into this crazy group of party guests. Invited not just to eat here at this table, but invited to that eternal feast that lies before us. I want to, before I close, just mention three practical ways in which we might extend that invitation. And um, the words, as I was thinking about this, uh, from the prophet Micah came to mind. The prophet Micah asks God, what is required of me? And God says to him, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So three things that we might want to do in response, three practical things. To act justly. Well, to act justly might be that invitation to one who is oppressed at the moment. We are a member of Telco here. That's a a branch of London citizens which is seeking to collaborate with others to bring about justice in this area. And... um, Uh, Yasmin, who's a member of Telco, is going to come later and she's going to be around over the lunch if you want to meet with her. One of the campaigns they're working on is how we might welcome refugees. Uh, What a, a critical issue for us to be considering as we think about how we show justice in the world. So if you want to get involved in that, do speak to me afterwards, do join with uh, what's happening with Telco to love, to act justly. Secondly, to love mercy. I've already mentioned the the compassion uh, that is shown through the night shelter week after week. And uh, although most of the slots are filled at the night shelter, I'm going to be vocating a few over the next few weeks. If you would like to be involved in showing that mercy and that compassion to people at their point of need, then please do contact the office and think about how you might love mercy in that way. And finally, to walk humbly. Well, that's about our everyday lives, uh, showing and extending that invitation to the table. One of the people, one of the groups of people I've been so impressed with how they do that has been the Interchange team. So um, Nita and Nathan and Leanne, who are here, uh, live their lives daily in a way that is extending an invitation to the people of Shadwell. And if you would like to know more about what they do, please do speak to any one of them after the service. They are well worth listening to, as I know many of you are. So to conclude, 
we experience the kindness, the balm of God by receiving the unexpected, undeserved invitation to the royal table. Here, Jesus welcomes us. He opens the door. He takes the the coat off our shoulders. He washes our feet and he says, come in, eat and drink with me. The table is set before us and the cup overflows. Whoever you are, whatever place you have in society, through no merit of your own, you have been invited to be fed by Jesus. And we love our neighbors by extending that invitation. For their, their status to change from being worthless or excluded or outsiders or unwelcome or simply not knowing that they are precious and dearly loved to becoming those who are guests of honor in the kingdom of God. May we respond to that undeserved invitation today, receive Jesus's hospitality, and may we have eyes to see which unexpected neighbors we're called to invite to the royal table too. Amen.